And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Miami Hurricanes beat writer Manny Navarro. And if you've been in a coma or perhaps, uh, you know, just doing a lot of drugs or alcohol over the last few days and didn't see that uh, Miami lost by 24 to Duke, my apologies. I've got to break the bad news to you. Uh, Miami is now three and four. Uh, Carlos, did you watch the game? <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I did. But and you know what? It's not uh, not just a situation that if you have done a lot of drugs leading up to the game and you missed it, I think many people have started using drugs following the game. And can you imagine like you're laying in a hospital bed for like two years and you went under right before the North Carolina game in 2020 when the Canes were rolling and you thought they'd have a chance to win the ACC, at least get to the championship game right before they got steamrolled by North Carolina and then you, you're in a coma. You just woke up today and you're like, Shit, the Canes were rolling. We probably made the ACC championship game. We probably went back again. We're probably in position to do it this year. And then you wake up and you see Manny Diaz is gone. Why? He was doing a good job. But then you hear Mario Cristobal as the head coach. You're like, oh, shit. We must be really rolling now. No, you're three and four and lost to Duke by like 45 points. Yeah, not a good uh, time to be a Hurricanes fan right now. But you know what? It's part of the uh, transition period, right? When you're a uh, first-year head coach. I think most Miami fans are upset that uh, the Hurricanes are, are, don't have a better record right now. But there is probably a very small contingent that understand that uh, this process with Mario is going to be painful. Um, it's something that uh, actually Andrew Pirelli and I talked about earlier today when I had him on uh, the podcast. We, we did record that segment about 25, 26 minutes long. Andrew, of course, from the South Florida Express, covers a lot of recruiting, knows a lot of the football players at Miami, has relationships with them uh, from their seven-on-seven seven days. And, uh, you know, he has a good feeling for what's kind of happening with the team. And, uh, you know, we're going to play that interview here on the on the podcast if you're listening at home. Um, that'll be played for you as, as part of an attachment. If you want to watch it on YouTube, it's uh, it's on the uh, Wide Right page. But, Carlos, I mean, basically one thing Andrew talked about was really what's happening here is players are having a hard time adjusting to Mario. And the way I like to sort of compare the relationship is Manny Diaz was their friend. Mario Cristobal is their coach. And I think what's happening is, you know, Mario's a hard ass. And there's some guys that just aren't necessarily built for the way he's going to run this program. Listen, man, we, we all knew that this was going to take time to rebuild to be a contender. I thought it would be 9-3, and 10-2 this year just because I thought with the transition to Mario, the coaching staff they brought in, they could develop these guys and make them into something even better than they've been in the past. Uh, we saw how close games were last year. You know, a field goal here, a missed drive here, and it, you go from seven, from nine and three to seven and five. Is basically what happened last year. You figured Mario would flip that with his coaching staff and the addition of some talent that that he brought in, but it hasn't worked out that way. But 
I will say this. I'll give you an analogy. Mario's job here is kind of like what happened to me with my roof in my house, right? You know, the roof on the outside of the house looked great. It was painted beautiful, barrel tile. Everything looked good. Then that big-ass rainstorm that came for like three days in June came, and I got a leak in my roof. And I was like, oh, shit, I had to change the roof. So I sent the roofer out. He checked it out. He was like, okay, these spots are bad, whatever. You can get away with it for a couple more years just doing your flat roofs. But I was suggesting the whole thing. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Let's change it all out, and let's upgrade the roof to an aluminum one because that looks nice, and that's the shit against hurricanes. Cool. My man gets started. What happens? He discovers more rot than he thought was there in places that we didn't expect rot to be. So he's got to put extra work in. The house looks uglier. Shit's all over the place. There's tar leaking on my front yard. There's fucking pieces of wood everywhere. There's a an, an, an construction site that I did not anticipate in the front of my house. But you know what happened at the end? The shit looks beautiful. And this little hurricane that came by, I couldn't even hear, hear the rain on my roof. That's how badass that aluminum roof is. It fixed the leak, made it better, but it took time. It looked ugly at first. We found more rot than was there initially. We had to get all that out. Get all that rot out to make it right. But when it was right, it's really nice. You've been using my rot theme quite a bit. I, I remember mentioning that a few weeks ago on the show, but you've now adopted it. You've made it you made it your own. Listen, I've also heard a lot of people, I'm not gonna mention names, using my mindset theme in other podcasts, but I'm gonna let that shit slide too. Mm. Any any uh guilty No, but I mean it's it's I, it's good to hear that other people think the same way I do without attributing credit to me, which is cool. But um but yeah, but it's like this. It's it's truly about discovering which guys are here for the long haul, and which aren't, and that's cool. And it's going to look ugly at first, and you're going to have to discover this on the fly because these guys do not have intimate knowledge of these players. They did not recruit these players. They did not interact with these players until they got him right here on campus. Even the transfers, they have a very short relationship with, and I think that's part of the problem. There, to me, there are two major problems with what's gone on here with the conflict between the coaching staff and the players. Number one. The coaches came on board late, obviously, and they didn't understand who they had on the roster. And it took till the bullets were flying to really figure stuff out because you can't figure the stuff out in scrimmages because if you got shitty guys going against shitty guys, well, one shit guy's going to look less shit than the other. Not a big deal. So the other problem is I think I've said this before. I think a lot of these coaches come here with their ego high saying, look at my resume. You know who I am. You got to do what I say if you want to be successful and didn't take the time to build a relationship with the players to grow that trust. They rolled in with the resume and say, Hey, yo, you got to do what I say, as opposed to listen, getting them to buy in early, letting them know what your vision is, building a personal connection with the kid. And then you can push them a little bit harder. But when you come in like a hammer to a nail right away, Sometimes I rub people the wrong way. And obviously the ones that are weakest of mind, the ones aren't ready for that stuff and aren't as committed will start to fall away first. The ones that are sort of in between, that takes a little bit longer for them to fall off, but eventually they will too. All you're going to be left with is the ones that are really in it for real for the long haul. But again, that takes a long time to discover, and there's going to be growing pains in between. Uh, excellent points. Um, you know, I wrote a story this morning off of what Mario said uh, when he spoke with Joe Rose on his weekly appearance on WQAM. And basically Mario came out and, and uh, I don't want to say he threw the players under the bus, but he basically said, look, you need to have a certain attitude to play here, right? And um, it made it pretty clear that, you know, some of these guys aren't going to be here going forward, right? Um, there's guys that that uh, are having to, I don't know, prove themselves, and they're not doing it. They're not showing the coaches enough of what they want. 
and uh, and ultimately this program is suffering. They're struggling, um, and they're going through a lot of bad pains. Now, I will say this: there are a lot. There's a big contingent of the fan base, and I would say a whole lot of people on my timeline that are former Oregon fans or former Mario fans from Oregon. Let me word that correctly. They're still Oregon fans who say, "Look, Mario's a great recruiter, but he's a terrible coach. He's not a good game day coach." He's going to get the wrong coordinators in there. Look what Dan Lanning is doing with this team. They're ranked number eight in the country now. They're six and one. They rebounded from their 49 to three loss of Georgia with a really good performance last weekend, beating an undefeated UCLA team at home. Um, well, I did a little digging. And if you go to my story on The Athletic today, uh, I wanted to look and see, well, how much of these guys were Mario guys? How many of these guys were Dan Lanning guys? Right. Um, because it's easy for us to just say, oh, well, he's winning with Mario's team. Okay. Well, the quarterback, Bo Nix, came from Auburn. He's a transfer. The two leading rushers on the team uh, came from Minnesota and Western Kentucky. The number two receiver on the team is is uh, from uh, – where did he come from? He came from another uh, – I think UCLA, actually. He transferred from UCLA. And then you got your two starting defensive linemen, two of the three starting defensive linemen because they play a 3-4 front, and their top cornerback all also transfers. So really – you got about seven guys that Dan Lanning brought in that are really helping Oregon take off. They're averaging 11 more points a game than they were last year. And, you know, the criticisms of Mario being a very uh, unsexy offense, having a very unsexy offense and approach, I think those. I think that's true. We knew that, though, right, coming in, that this is a guy who feels like he's not going to expose his defense. He's going to play a traditional, more ball-control style. The problem is he just doesn't have the horses to do that, and so – What's happened is he turned to Tyler Van Dyke to become that guy, throw the ball a bunch. It worked at Virginia Tech. And then last week after the opening touchdown drive, they kind of just fell apart. And they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't really throw it. Jake Garcia had a couple big plays. But other than that, uh, this offense has been a disaster. And so I guess saying all of those things, Carlos, what what is your feeling as far as how scared Miami fans should be about Mario, the game day tactician, and the, the guy who hires the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Okay. As far as the game day tactician, the only thing you could put on Mario is anything that's having to do with clock management or fourth down situations. When you go for it, when you don't. The ones that create the game plans are the offensive and defense coordinators. Okay. Although Mario has input on it, they, they clear it with Mario. They show them what they're, they're thinking about. They show them what they want to do. But ultimately, it's their job to run the offense and the defense. So the whole Mario's a bad game day coach – Unless you're talking about bad clock management, which we've seen some instances of that this year, but nothing too serious, and uh, going forward on fourth downs, which I think he's been very aggressive this year, and I think the fans have liked that. They clamored for that last season with Manny Diaz. Now don't back up and say, oh, he's going for it too much on fourth down, because this is what your asses wanted last year, right? So to me, that's a little overstated. Two, as a head coach, your job is to employ the best staff possible and oversee that staff to be a CEO coach. And that's what Mario basically does. He only really gets involved with the offensive line personally, okay, which right now is a disaster. But again, the old Gary Stevens quote, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Anyway, so the other thing of it is when you hire a good staff, you don't necessarily have to be that great of a tactician because they're handling that for you. And with this experienced staff, when it comes to clock management, when it comes to in-game situations, there's people that have been head coaches on the staff and a coach for great programs that can assist with that too. So it's not something that's all on Mario. Second, I would push back to those Oregon fans that say that he's terrible at hiring coordinators. Do you know who his coordinators were in 2019 when they won the Rose Bowl? Marcus Arroyo and Andy Avalos. 
What do those two guys have in common? Didn't they get head coaching jobs? Okay, so I guess they were pretty fucking good, right? Okay. Uh, after that, who did he hire as his offensive coordinator? A little guy named Joe Moorhead? Was, is that guy kind of respected in college football as a great offensive mind? I've heard him be really respected as an offensive mind, right? So, I mean, and, and I forgot who his defensive coordinator was. I think it was Rittenauer. I forget it was. But it was the guy who was also respected in college football. Multiple guy. A really good coach. A really good tactician. So, to me, Oregon fans crying in your milk saying that Mario hired shitty coordinators. Don't give me that, bro. Don't give me that. Not when you celebrated two Pac-12 championship appearances, right? You celebrated two Rose Bowls. Don't give me all this shit now that Mario's gone, that he was terrible at this or he's terrible at that. Dan Lanning's a shit. Show me where Dan Lanning ends up at the end of the year. Then we'll talk. Well, listen, there's no question that Mario brought some some talented players in. Um, but when you compare the NFL draft picks between Miami and Oregon since 2019, because Mario basically took over in 2018, um, just the last few drafts, Miami and Oregon ultimately have the same number of draft picks, 14 each. The difference is Oregon's what got... What round some, are they going in? Right. Oregon's got a few first-rounders. Justin Herbert wasn't Mario's recruit. Kayvon Webster and Panay Sewell were. Um, look, I, I've always believed that the reason Mario will be successful here is because he's a very good talent evaluator, very good recruiter. If you look at the guys that are starting on that offensive line, which I think is given up one sack through seven games, by the way... Um, those are all these guys. A lot of three-star recruits, guys that they um, targeted that were coached up to perform and play better. And I know yeah. right now the current staff is reaping the benefits of that. But building an offensive line um, usually takes you know two years. The guy gets redshirted his first year, puts on more weight, puts on good weight, whatever he has to do, and then he's got to learn how to play and play with speed. And so you know, in the good old days, you know, at Alabama and places like that, guys don't start till they're redshirt sophomores. Um, and maybe you get them one or two years, and then they go pro. Um, Mario's inheriting a mess of an offensive line, really. And, and and this, but honestly, this offensive line has been a mess for I think about ten years, and yeah. it's gotten worse, progressively worse over the years. Well, and and the one aspect I think fans keep forgetting about is, you know, when you change coordinators, when you change offensive line coaches, when you change head coaches, um, you're teaching new guys are coming in and having to teach these guys their way of doing it, right? And so there's always that adjustment period. Look, I'm not trying to make excuses. They're three and four. They shouldn't have lost to Duke. They shouldn't lose to Middle Tennessee State. I'll give you that. Um, they should be a, a five and two football team right now. Um, and it's disappointing that Mario has gotten off to the start. But I'm going to maintain that really what he was brought in here to do was to bring in talent. And, I, and I'm going to trust his evaluations over a lot of other guys who have done evaluations. And one thing you'll hear about when you do listen to my interview with a Andrew Ferrelli is, you know, Miami had some key recruits at the game on Saturday, including uh, Francis Mawigo, the five-star offensive tackle from Miami Academy. And, you know, it wasn't just with, with uh, you know, the, the, the websites that he spoke with. He spoke to a lot of different people. and was like, look, I'm very in here. Like, I'm, I'm going to Miami. I want to be a part of this. Um, I'm, I want to come play for Mario. And so that's an aspect that even if Miami were to struggle the rest of the season and not make a bowl game, okay, which, by the way, at this point, ESPN gives them a ESPN gives them a 38% chance of getting the six wins. So um, it's not expected anymore that they're going to even make a bowl game. Um, I, I still think they're going to have a very good class here, and they're still going to kick ass in the transfer portal and, and find guys to bring in here. And so you got to almost give him a chance to really have at least one or two recruiting classes before I think you can fairly judge him. You know, and I would also say that the transition from Manny to Mario has almost been like the, the transition from – Paul Johnson to Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. 
although it's not a systematic change as much, it's a cultural change. It's an upheaval of the from the way these guys have done things at Miami for so long that it was so ingrained in this program that this sudden change to this more hard-ass style to more demanding style to having a standard that's well above anything they've ever dealt with in their lives has created friction between the staff and the players and guys are wilting and guys are not able to take it and they are you know when they get on the field they're just not there and in practices they're not all there and what you're having to put on the field is basically half a team because half the guys are into it and half aren't and the ones that aren't you got to play them because you got nobody else and they're being exposed um Certainly, I think team morale is, isn't in a good place. Although I will tell you that, you know, there are coaches that pull us to the side and say, hey, the kids are still trying hard. There's still um, there's still effort. There's still a desire in this room. I know it didn't look like it in the fourth quarter. I think it's fair to question that against Duke in the fourth quarter when Jake Garcia was throwing an interception and left and right and fumbles left and right, that, that it killed the morale. But we'll find out Saturday. The, the, the real film will be Saturday. Uh, at 1230 when they're playing in Charlottesville, will they show up with any sort of heart? Will they show up and try to win that game? And Virginia, look, they're they're coming off a 16-9 win over Georgia Tech. Uh, their quarterback, Brendan Armstrong, wants to prove to NFL teams that he's still a good quarterback. It's been a terrible season for them. He's got some good receivers still. Uh, so that game will be interesting. But I decided uh, today on the drive over here to the Garrison, we're here in the Garrison in Miami Lakes uh, doing our second straight show here. I hope that we worked out the audio I think the audio sounds a lot better for those of you guys complaining. Um, no, they, and it was very warranted. It was pretty bad audio. Um, but w- what I will say is, you know, you, you look at um, Miami going into that game. I, I, I've decided that I'm going to I'm going to be the person who starts lowering expectations at the University of Miami. And if you're listening to this episode today, you're going to understand why for the rest of my career, as long as I'm doing this, as long as I'm working as a journalist and covering the Miami Hurricanes, I am never going to pick them to win a game again. I'm not picking them to win a game again until they win a national championship. So you're wondering, why is Manny picking us to go 0-12? Why is Manny picking us to lose to Bethune-Cookman? You, you heard this episode, and if not, you're just going to think I'm a hater. But from now on, I am not picking Miami to win a game. Well, you are the kiss of death. You are the, you've been proven to be the kiss of death when you go to road games. So, I mean, it, thank you for, for this assistance. You are now putting, swinging the mojo back in our favor. Well, and I think expectations have to be lowered, right? I think we all came in with the wrong idea um, that generally that this team was going to win the division. I thought of because they went five and one at the end of the season and they had uh, Tyler yeah. back that it would be easy. Uh, it clearly isn't. Me too. But here, here's the thing. We also, we also, a lot of the fan base, including me on occasion, our biggest expectations coming into the season each year aren't set by what's really on the roster. It's set by history. Except by what we expect this team to try and climb their way back to. We're holding on to the past for 20-some-odd years now since that last national championship, and we're thinking that at one point it's just going to snap and be right back to what it used to be. But it's a climb, man. If you haven't realized it by now, this shit takes a while, and not everybody gets it right. And, you know, sometimes you got to just rip out the whole thing and start over again. And if it takes this team going 4-8 and eight this season – to bounce back and get back to the program that it should be contending for national championships year after year. If it's a slow climb, I'll take it. I'll take a four and eight season, then a seven and five, then a nine and three to get to 11 and one, 12 and oh, and be in that playoff spot. But be, be, create a foundation for 
success throughout time, consistent success, not build it for a flash in the pan like 2017, build it for something that you can have consistently year in, year out, a contender for a playoff spot or a national championship. If it takes going through these growing pains, I'll do it. I'll take it. Um, and I think as Kings fans, we have to reset our expectations and deal with what's in front of us right now. Right now, I will accept that the coaching staff and the players both deserve blame. But also at the same time, let's have a little thought experiment. If you're, you buy an old car, right, that you want to remodel and, and, and you know, fix up and stuff, but it has a really good running engine, you're like, oh, okay, at least I got the engine down. But you're driving it down the street and it's all rusted and broken. Do you expect that car to perform the same way as a brand new car? No. Even though the engine's great, the rest of the car sucks. So you've got to build up that car until it's ready to be replicated or at least remodeled to the point where it looks like and functions like a car of that, a brand new car of that model, right? So until you do that, until you go through the remodeling process, and again, some people are saying, why is TCU playing so well with a first-year head coach? Why is, you know, other schools that have first-year head coaches, why is Mike Elko out coaching uh, Mario Cristobal first year? Why is this happening? Well, there's, there's, there's changes that need to occur. Some programs are in better positions than others. Some programs have very little expectations and have guys that are willing to do whatever it takes to win because they've never tasted it before. Whereas other programs, like ours, have guys that at are um, entitled and think they deserve to win just because they came from South Florida and have that U in their helmet. And it doesn't work that way. And that's what Mario's trying to instill in this program again. It needs to be earned. It all has to be earned. Nothing is given to you. And when you show up on Saturday and you think you can roll the ball out and when you score a touchdown, you get up 21-17 and you think, okay, that's it. We crushed our spirit because we're the U. No, people are going to fight back and counterpunch and hit you in the mouth. And you've got to be re able to react to that. And Stomp their feet. Stomp them. And and I said coming into this game, into my preview, I felt like, like this team has yet to prove over the last two, three years that they can come back from a deficit. They're great at front running, but they can't come back and win a game late after being down early. Overcome adversity. When this team hits adversity, yeah, they fight. They try to get back into the game, but they're never there. They never cross that threshold. They never get over that hump. And that's something that's mental more than physical. And I don't think they're there yet. There has to be a game. Let's say if this game against Virginia, they get down 24-10 or 24-7 in the third quarter. If they find a way to fight back and win that game, that could be the thing that triggers and makes the change happen. But they're going to have to prove it on the field one way or another. You know, front running and beat them, you're up 21 nothing at the half, all that's easy. When you have to come back, when you have to look inside yourself and look at your teammates and say, okay, are we going to do this for each other or not? And I think that's something else that's missing. We've talked about this team missing leadership for years. I don't know if these guys care about each other enough to do what they need to do to make it happen on the field or if they're out there just looking for their own numbers. One, one thing I want to add before we get to uh, the mailbag and start answering some of the questions that were sent to us here within the last 24 hours. Um, you know, one, one interesting conversation I had today with, with, with somebody on the staff was, Part of the problem that they have is hero ball, essentially, where guys are going to break out of gaps or break out of responsibilities because they feel like, well, I got to go make the play. I got to yep. go save my teammates. And that's what ends up causing a lot of the mishaps and breakdowns, particularly on defense. Um, when you see the big plays, it's one guy, like Manny Diaz used to say, right? One guy out of the, the assignment. Um, so I think there are obviously guys that care. I think the problem is what these guys don't do is trust each other. And, and that's only built through success. That's only built through uh, leadership and a common understanding that you're getting to a good place. So, yeah. And so, I, I, you know, to me, that's that's part of what Miami has to go through as a program with Mario. 
is getting to the point where the everybody's on the same page. And I know fans are upset, you know, but it's like I got a phone call from my former editor, Walter Villa, the other day, and he says to me, oh, Mario's a, a worse coach than Manny Diaz, you know? He says, how can he be doing worse with this team? And I said, you mean all those first-round picks that he inherited from Manny Diaz? All those All-Americans? You mean those guys aren't playing up to snuff? You mean the guys that started two and four last year are letting Mario down? I'm shocked. I'm surprised. Uh, you know, I think the fan base has to realize just because they were seven and five last year and beat Duke 47 to 10 in the last game, that's not what the ultimate goal is here. The ultimate goal is to get to much higher place. And so I, I think, like you said earlier, if you have to go through a four and eight season, if you have to go through something to rip the bandaid off, so to speak, then, then you're probably doing the right thing to get to where you want to go. Yeah, because for too long, like you said, they placed a Band-Aid on this program and just thought about winning now and making it look good enough to continue coaching at the program and continue being mid-tier. Whereas to really get to be elite, you have to start all over again. You have to rip it all out and start from the bottom and grow it up. All right, I want to get to some mailbag questions here that uh, we requested. And some of these are hot takes. Some of these are uh, questions. Uh, so I apologize if when I start reading this, uh, it doesn't come out exactly perfectly clean or whatever. Um, I'm going to try to go back as far as I can. Um, all right. This is from Tyler Overly on Twitter. Uh, where do we go from here? The fan base cannot see us ever digging out of this hole. Mediocracy is the norm. I think, all right, this, this is a good question, Carlos, a good topic to get into. When should, when should Miami fans start to expect a turnaround here? Okay, when when you say turnaround, what are you talking about? Are you talking about competing for uh, a playoff spot, or are you talking about competing for well, the ACC championship? Let's let's go with it simple. Let's go with the Al Golden goal. Let's talk about winning the Coastal and getting to the, well, they're never going to win the Coastal, right? Well, so getting to the ACC championship game, they're never going to win the Coastal. So getting because the, the Coastal because the Coastal is gone after this season, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, I would say you know give it two more years. I don't think next year they're going to do it. I think. Year three is when they should be competitor for the ACC title game because it's going to take not just this recruiting class that you just got, the one that's coming up now and the one after that. You want to have three classes in so you have depth um, and also be able to add guys in the transfer portal throughout that time to fill in the holes within the roster. And there, as we've seen, there's a lot of holes. So I would say year three, they should be competing. I won't say they'd win it, but I'd say they'll be in that game and competing for, for the championship. Yeah, I think you could do it as early as next year if you if you attack the transfer portal as hard as I think they're going to do. Um, you know, Michigan State had a great turnaround season a couple of years ago with the with the uh, transfer portal having a lot of success there. I think with Alonzo Highsmith here and some of the hires that they've made in terms of evaluation, that you could flip this roster pretty quickly. Now, I will say this: there are areas where they're going to have to clearly address running back being one of them, um, yep. offensive line being another, and then probably defensive line because a lot of the guys that are here now that they pulled in this last cycle, the Jake, they're, be one this, and done. they're all going to be one and done. So you're going to have to readdress that uh, position once again. And, and, you know, offensive linemen, finding offensive linemen is probably the toughest thing to do in the transfer portal. Yeah. There's not many, I was going to sit there and research how many offensive linemen, you know, switched schools last year and, and are starters because I, I just don't think the number is that high. I think it's, it's pretty low. And, and in fact, you look at some of the teams that have uh, offensive linemen, um, you know, coming in as true freshmen. LSU has two true freshmen starting on their offensive line. Uh, Clemson has their starting right tackle, the true freshman. So 
getting a guy like Francis Maui Goa, and he could come in and be one of those kind of guys yeah. who makes an instant impact. But you still got to fix the inside of the uh, offensive line for Miami. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, listen, it, it's part of the issue with the offensive line this year is you had a guy who was supposed to start at left tackle, was supposed to be a projected first-round pick who has not been on the field all season, basically. Um, you've had to bring in John Campbell, who's done an okay job at left tackle, but really should be the starting right tackle. Then you've got DJ Scaife, who's playing right tackle, who should really be the right guard, right? Because that's his best position. Then your center's been hurt the last couple games. Uh, he's not 100%. And, you know, Jalen Rivers has been okay, but he hasn't been spectacular. So, to me, that's been the issue. The injuries along the offensive line, you started, you also lost Justice Olivashun down to injury, who was effective. wasn't great, but he was effective. And the guys that rolled in behind him haven't been good. So, it's it's an issue when you don't have depth on the offensive line and you're shuffling guys in and out. Now, if you had a team that had – you were 10 deep on the offensive line, 12 deep, then you'd be okay because you could roll guys in and out. You wouldn't have an issue. But this team isn't built like that just yet, and that, that affects everything. People don't understand how critical, and which is why Mario is addressing it, the offense and defensive lines are to an offense and a defense, especially on an offense, because if you can't block – it doesn't matter what you draw up. You can draw up the greatest play in the world. If you cannot block, you're not executing that play. So it doesn't matter. You, you know, there could have been plays where Jake Garcia, when he got knocked on his ass and he fumbled, maybe somebody was wide open and he was about to hit somebody for a touchdown. But we couldn't block it, so it doesn't matter. So all those things factor in. And I think building from the lines out is the way to go. And it's going to take time because those are the hardest positions to fill and to be most effective. Now, if you get, get a guy like Frank Smile Gogo, he'd be a, a day one starter then you're lucky. But usually it takes two or three years to build a, a, a grown man on the offensive line. All right. This is from Ruben Valorio. Are players put off by Crystal Ball's personality? They think he is being fake and therefore not buying in? Or have they just had enough coaches that they don't really think about anything or they don't think anything will make a difference? Do they just have a losing mentality? I mean, I think we kind of touched on this question, uh, Ruben, but just to, you know, whether or not they're put off by his personality. Yeah, I mean, I think... Mario, you know, look, Mario's 53 years old, okay? Um, he's a grown-ass man, dog. He's a grown-ass man, and he's from a different era where uh, you weren't guys' best friends, right? I mean, he learned under Nick Saban. His approach is be a hard-ass and be the coach, not somebody's friend, and it's a stark difference from Manny Diaz. Yeah. And I just think guys are having a, having trouble adjusting to it. And, and and the last thing I think you could ever say about Mario Cristobal is that he's fake. He's authentic. What do you see is what you get. That's who that dude is. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That shit you see during press conferences, that's him. That's not a fake persona. Did you see a scowl, by the way, he gave me in the uh, post-game interview for, for suggesting I, you know they might have quit? I, um, I, I watched it after you told me about it, and I fell for you, bro. That dude was like, that was, damn, that was a death stare. No wonder you were pounding beer later in my house that night. You were like, bro, I don't know what happened. You had that thousand-yard Vietnam stare. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> All right, this is from Matt Reed News. Other than firing the offensive coordinator, what potential moves would you like to see Mario make in the offseason? Good question, People Matt. love firing offensive coordinators. I think that is the... Oh, and, and defensive coordinators. Yeah, but I think they prefer firing offensive coordinators more. I don't know why. I think they just, they just enjoy it more. But um, listen, I, I don't see Josh Gaddis being here long-term just because I think you know he's, his, he's got his eyes set on a head coaching job, which is why he left Michigan to begin with because he felt he was disrespected there and should have been considered for the job if Harbaugh took the, the Vikings job. And I also think at this point, he's like, you know, this this is tarnishing my brand a little bit, being here. So he's going to try and find the first exit out, either to jump to another school as an offense coordinator or to try and get a head coaching job somewhere just to get away from here. I don't think he's going to be here next year. Uh, Kevin Steele, 
I think he's a little long in the tooth for this. And I think grinding with Mario has worn on him a little bit. And I think he's probably going to exit also. He ain't down for this shit no more. This is way too much work for him. Um, and I, But I, the good news is I think they have guys in place that could be elevated to take over those jobs. So obviously, Charlie Strong could take over the defense if he wanted to, unless he wants to make a move somewhere else. Um, you know, Adai could take over the defense. He's a he's an upcoming up and coming guy, young guy, lots of energy, really good defensive mind. And offensively, you got Frank Ponce there. So I think there's opportunities to uh, elevate guys to keep some consistency, but also at the same time maybe put a different spin on things. Yeah, I think there's going to be changes no matter what. Um, I think, like you said, a lot of these guys uh, could potentially get jobs somewhere else, head jobs or coordinator jobs elsewhere. And Mario, uh, you know. That's why he spends so much time interviewing guys because he doesn't just interview them for the current job. He interviews them for two years down the road or three years yeah, down yeah. the road. Um, you know, we'll have to see what what kind of way that disrupts uh, the growth that they're making. But I think, you know, one thing I'd like to see with this offense, uh, besides better offensive linemen to run what you want to run, I, I think playing with pace is ultimately what a lot of kids want to do. And I don't know that you can do it all the time. Um, because it does wear on your defense. It does put your defense in bad situations. If you don't have a good defense, you can't play fast all the time. But I do think that um, today's kids, it's just a way to attract them, to make them want to come be a part of it, especially playmakers. Um, they want to be in wide-open offenses, and I think playing the traditional style that they do uh, or they try to play, I think that's more reserved for when you have the lead. When you're up two scores in the third or fourth quarter, go ahead and play that style. But I think when you're in a dogfight, when you're early in the game and it's seven seven or you know, ten ten, whatever the score is, and you're and you're fighting, put the defense in their in their worst possible position. Make them have to substitute, make them have to be, be gassed. Um that's one thing I think has to be a part of this offense moving forward. Well, I think, you know, when it comes to pace, to me, I'm not a guy that favors fast pace all the time. And I'll tell you why, because it limits your play call set. It limits your formation set. It, li it limits your motions and your shifts. Because when you're going that fast, you can't really get motions and shifts and get different call kinds of play calls. And that's why you see a lot of teams that go so fast, they basically run two plays. They'll run inside zone and they'll be outside zone read. That's all they run when it comes to the run game. And then they'll have quick passing games off that. They may adjust formationally. They'll do that kind of stuff. But you'll barely see any motions and shifts because that takes too much time to call on the line of scrimmage. You're usually getting a one-word call on the line and that's your play and go. Right. And then sometimes you'll check back for a secondary play and do that kind of stuff. If you really want to try and catch the defense with something special that you have. The guy that really started to promote pace in college football was Rich Rodriguez. Right. And even Rich Rodriguez had three pace settings that he would go to within a game. He would have three colored wristbands. And depending on the wristband that he touched, this is the what we're going to go with as fast as was NASCAR. And I forget what the other two were. One one's like a medium pace, and the other one's like, all right, this one we're going to take our time. We're going to be more deliberate. And I think shifting pace puts the defense more on its heels than just con constantly going fast um, because you want to be able to get certain play calls in and get certain matchups in that may be going too fast you're not going to get and get those substitutions in. I think ultimately, to me, what I like as an offense is if you could be as multiple as possible, you could stress de a defense in a way that's – unordinary because if you could be a team like you said that could line up in a tight two tight end set and hammer down and run gap schemes and pin and pull but at the same time they come back next series and spread it five wide and go with pace and run bubbles and run rpo and run all this kind of stuff that you normally see in a fast pace uh zone based offense that stresses the defense because now they have to essentially prepare for two offenses 
So if you have the personnel to be able to do both, that's to me is something you could take advantage of. And I think Miami's building towards that because we've always got really good tight ends. You've got a stable tight ends to do that kind of stuff. Who are not only blockers, but also really good pass catchers. So that helps. And I think ultimately, once they get the offensive line in place, you can be multiple in that way and play at different paces and play with different styles. All right. Um, I hope that answers your question. Uh, let's move on to Daniel. Uh, Dan T-O-W-3386. As much as the current situation seems dire, we all need to take a step back and wait to see what happens when Mario has a couple years to recruit, right? The O-line push probably improves with guys like Maui Goa and Kinsler, does it not? Seems like the expectations for this year were too high. Manny Diaz doesn't fare much better given that the transfers we have wouldn't necessarily be here. Nigelik, Cyrus, Jaleel, Citizen, none of them would be here. This is just a continuation of the Diaz era, in my opinion. I think it's a good take. I think that's one thing that people sort of maybe take for granted is had Manny Diaz stayed here, what would their transfer portal hall have looked like? Um, they didn't really have any recruiters, uh, receivers, rather recruiters, any receivers, you know, in the recruiting class um, outside of Isaiah Horton. Obviously, they would have gone out and, and tried to find guys as well. Um, but, you know, you would have had a change in offensive coordinator. Rhett Lashley was going to be the coach at SMU anyway. I think it's an interesting what if Manny was still here question. Right. You know, and, and I think, you know, he named the guys like like Citizen and, and Nigel Leak and Cyrus, but those guys aren't playing. Uh, Nigel Leak is playing a little bit, but it's not like he's making a, make a big impact is what I'm saying. So he would have still gotten Besaint because Besaint committed before Manny got fired. Um, and I think who knows what he got on the transfer portal. He didn't do a bad job in the transfer portal either. He might have filled different spots, different holes. Maybe Nate, uh, you know, Nessa Silvera stays. So you've got another guy along the deep line. Another experienced guy. But, you know, it to me, it would have been a situation where you probably might have had better results in terms of wins and losses because you would have kept the core of the team together. You would have stayed with the same kind of system, maybe, and added a piece here or there. But for the long term future of the program, that would have been sort of the top end. I don't think you would have been better than nine and three, eight and four, and consistently with Manny Diaz. What we're doing, like we talked about now, is we're ripping this thing apart to get to 12 and 0 one day. If you want to be 12 and 0, you got to rip out the whole thing, gut it, and start from nothing. All right. This is from Corey Lowe. I think it's more of a statement than it is a question. How is it possible with this so called great coaching staff that we've regressed to this embarrassing level? Um, well, because obviously this is deeper than just the coaching. Um, if it was simply play calling, um, that would be pretty evident. But you don't turn the ball over eight times because they're wrong plays are being called. You don't have 17 penalties because the wrong plays are being called. Um, you know, you could sit here and, and pick apart a lot of these losses. You don't, you know, give up seven, whatever it was, six pass plays of over 40 yards to Middle Tennessee State because the wrong play was called. Um, you do that because guys have bad habits and they don't do their job the way that they should. Yeah, Josh Caddison not standing on the, up in the booth or calling down, hey, let's throw the interception play now. Let's throw the Jalen Knight and fumble out there. Let's let's run those plays. That'll work, right? Let's run the Jake Garcia get blindsided in a fumble play. That's not what they're calling. It's it's execution. But ultimately, it also lies on the coaching staff to some extent because you've got to – and I think this is where the issue of the ego came in a little bit is you've got to be able to connect with these kids and get them to do what you want them to do somehow and maybe relent a little bit, although you don't change your standard, but you change your approach. In teaching, my wife is a teacher, you that you have something called differentiated instruction. People learn different ways. And if you're teaching the same thing the same way and getting the same results and these kids aren't getting it, 
then it's your fault. You need to change the way you approach and understand you have different learners and what triggers a guy to understand the scheme, right? And how he learns best and what motivates that person individually. Some guys like it when you get in their face and, and you know, say, hey, listen, you got to get shit together. Let's go. Other guys you need to talk to. Other guys, you just got to rationalize with them and say, listen, this is what you need to do. This is where you run wrong. Can you fix it? And it's like, all right, I got it. No problem. So a, a one-size-fits-all approach does not work. And I think that's something that needs to be adjusted. As far as play calling stuff is concerned, I will say this. I think they've been a little bit stubborn in some areas, uh, particularly when it comes to the offensive side of the football. Their red zone play calling has been atrocious this year. If it wasn't for Colby Young developing over the last couple of weeks, they probably wouldn't score in the red zone, or at least not touchdowns. And I think this game, when Josh Gaddis saw that Duke decided they were just going to blitz pretty much two out of three downs and play zone behinding, he had to come up with a scheme to adjust to that, and he never did. So you do, to me, a couple of things. Number one, how many times did you see them go five wide, empty backfield this game? But not enough, to me, because that helps you identify the blitz. And now you got to go quick off of that. Not as often as they did the last few games, which helped. The other thing is, how many times have we seen them go max protection with a three-man route? Hardly any. Okay, so that's another issue to me. When you have a team zone blitzing you, and you don't know where it's coming from, the best thing to do, or one of the things to do, is max protect, flood a zone with different levels, so that way you're protected and you can identify the gap in the zone. And he didn't do enough of that either. So there are things he could have done to adjust that he didn't do. Now, also at the same time, there are, there are failures along the offensive line where linemen weren't stepping in the right direction, they weren't covering the right gap, and the running backs are terrible at blitz pickup on this team. Uh, you know, and that's been an issue all season long as well. So that's hindered the offense. Defensively, they just missed a shitload of tackles. They were out of position. And when the fourth quarter rolled around, after all the turnovers are like, screw this, I just want to go home. It was ugly. All right, this is from Justin Canada Canes on Twitter. Without naming names, what would you bet the over-under on current players hitting the portal if it was set to six and a half? I would say the over. I would say, and, and J.K. Slade chimed in responding to uh, Canada Kane saying, definitely take the over. I would guess a minimum of 15 players. This is a, this, this is a conversation that I actually had earlier uh, today uh, with uh, Andrew Ferrelli of South Florida Express, and I could see 40 guys off this roster from last year. And, I, and some of it are guys that are just running out of eligibility or going to be graduate transfers, guys that weren't playing or whatever. But I also think there's going to be a good amount of young players that leave as well. Um, all right. This is from uh, Mark Ardois, 521 on Twitter. Mario pushed this mentally soft team hard and they broke. It stinks and it hurts, but now we will know what we really have. He could have pulled the bandaid off slowly with less pain, but he has ripped it off, causing a lot more pain now, but we'll be able to get better a lot quicker. Apparently, your name is Mark Ardois on Twitter. Oh, is it? I like it. It's my French, uh, my French alter ego. Yes. Uh, same take as you. Exactly the same take. Uh, J.K. Slay says, I'm still all in on Mario, but this looks like the worst Miami team in the last 15 years, including the 8-5 and five golden team that lost 58 nothing to Clemson. Am I wrong? What team performed worse than this one? Uh, I think that also the last 15, the old 7 team that lost uh, 48 nothing to Virginia in the Orange Bowl. I think that team was worse. Weren't they 5-7? and seven? Yeah, there were a couple teams that only won 5 games here or six games yeah. yeah that was but that particular team in 07 was pretty bad 
Yeah. Um, I would say it's probably on that on that level with those guys. Um, all right, let's keep let's keep rolling here and then we're gonna wrap this up and get to my interview with Andrew Ferrelli. Uh this is from JK Slime Hennessy. Realistically, how much do you attribute the fumbles as player problems, coaching problems, and luck? Um, when a guy keeps doing it consistently, it's a player problem. So when Jalen Knight keeps fumbling on soft tackles, that's a Jalen Knight problem. Do you think the coaches are coaching him to fumble the ball in games? Do you think they're not going through ball security drills with him? It's just a guy problem. It's his problem. Now he's got a mental block for some reason. He can't hang on to the football. So that kind of stuff is is a player problem. Sometimes it's luck as well. Sometimes you get a well-placed helmet on the football on a kickoff, and then it's done. But, uh, you know, they're, they're not I, – I guarantee you these coaches are going over ball security. They are teaching them how to run the football. They're teaching them how to secure the football. They're not teaching or coaching them how to fumble. I can guarantee you that. Um, just for the record, I did ask Josh Gaddis the question in the press conference today. And for those of you that didn't watch it or didn't see it, I know a lot of you have tuned out for the entire season. Um, <laughs> basically, his response to me was, He's he's running with his dominant hand and he's not protecting the football. I was always taught, or I always taught it this way also as well when I learned at a coach's clinic. It says you have to have wrist over elbow when you're running the football. Wrist over elbow, tuck it tight to the body. That way it's hard to punch out and you secure it against your chest. If you run it this way with your elbow out, there's a chance to pop it out with a punch or pop it out with a helmet. When you go wrist over elbow, tight to your chest, even a helmet is going to drive it back into your chest. Um, all right. Uh Who's more to blame for this failed season, the players or the coaches? What does Mario have to do in the offseason to change his team? This is from Andrew V underscore 17. Who's most to blame? They're all to blame. I'm not going to sit here and just say it's the players. Um, you know, a lot of these guys were recruited here under a different staff. It's not their fault. They're here. Um, you know, I will say, I mean, there were a lot of conversations that I've had over the years, and you and I have had these conversations. Why are they taking this kid? Why is he here? He's not a hurricane. Um and I think, unfortunately, this is just year one. Hopefully for Mario, there's no recruiting mistakes. And guys, uh, those of you that are upset with Mario and want him fired, he ain't going nowhere. You know how much that buyout's going to be? Even if uh, a team like Auburn wants to try and pluck him out of here, and Mario says, I'm not up for this shit anymore. This is too much work. They thought I was Captain Sabaho, and I came down here to save this program, and now they want me out? Fine, I'm going to Auburn. It's going to cost way too much money to buy Mario out of this contract. He's here for the long haul, and he's and I doubt that Mario would want to leave here until he's built this thing back up. This thing means that much to him. So I think eventually it's going to get to where we want it to go. But right now, you got to deal with the growing pains, man. Like my main, like my man Kirk Cameron. This is Coke, by the way. This is Diet Coke. I have to have my traditional Diet Coke during the podcast. Do not think that I am slamming. Like rum and cokes are dark beer here. I am being responsible, although I'm in a bar. I, I am having what's the name of this beer again? This is the uh, Garrison. The Garrison Lager. The Garrison Lager. So there's your Which plug. Is, that's that's their, their their home brew here. That's their own specialty, exclusive brew. Over 80 beers on tab. They've got stuff every night of the week here. Uh, Tuesday night is ladies' night. Wednesday night is salsa night. Thursday night is trivia. Friday night is karaoke, which I, I came to last week. Did not sing, but had a good time. Saturday night is a dance party, and Sunday is NFL games all day long. Garrison Tap Room here in Miami Lakes. Uh, you can find the address online and uh, or check out the tweets. We've uh, sent some flyers out before for them. All right. This is from G. Fernie. He says, longtime listener and athletic subscriber. Manny, you mentioned the team isn't talented as it shows on paper, though I have to wonder how much talent does Miami need to beat teams like Middle Tennessee State and Duke. I'm not asking what we need to be conference or national champs or to even beat North Carolina. It seems like it's more that Mario and some coaches 
are getting out coached on scheme plays and how they're coaching players that we can beat um, with subpar talent. We have, which I believe is still better than Middle Tennessee State and Duke. So in other words, he's basically wondering why is it that they're losing the teams with less talent? Okay, uh, my man, what's his name? Fernie, my dude. I like for you. I like you. I like your name, Fernie, because I had a bunch of boys back in the day named Fernie. All right, that I grew up with. Um, have you watched the last fifteen years of Hurricane football? How many times have they lost to teams that they were more talented than? It's par for the course, bro. I get it. Middle Tennessee, Duke. I get it. This is not your mother's Duke team, my man. This Duke team is pretty good. So if you were gonna beat them, you needed to be on point with everything you were doing. And eight turnovers. I don't care who you're playing. You could have had eight turnovers against Bethune, and you probably would have lost that game. Okay. The other thing, Middle Tennessee, I agree. Same thing, but again, turnovers and blown coverages. Just because we're saying that the talent on this team isn't as good as everybody thinks doesn't mean we're saying it's not good enough to be a team like Duke and Middle Tennessee. At the end of the day, it comes down to effort, mindset, and execution. And if your dudes aren't all in, if guys aren't giving full effort, if guys aren't locked in mentally, these are the kind of results that you get. And we've seen this for 15 to 20 years. The difference is now Mario refuses to relent and he's going to beat these guys into submission to either get to the standard that he wants or he's going to sit their ass on the bench and make them suffer through a 4-8 season to prove a point. All right. Um, we got a bunch more questions, but we're not going to get to all of them. A lot of them are kind of repeating a lot of the same themes. So I apologize for those of you that sent questions in. Uh, just, you know, we're kind of hitting the same subject over and over again. I don't want to kill uh, the momentum here. This is from Mitch Maniac Kane Mitch on Twitter. Uh, what's your definition of leadership? He's got two, co two questions and a comment. That's the first question. The second one is, why aren't we seeing it from certain players or coaches? Coach Cristobal seems like a great leader. So does the defensive coordinator. But there are a lot of questions as far as the offensive coordinator. Michigan doesn't look like they're missing their Broyles Award winner. All right, here's what I will say about Josh Gaddis, okay? Uh, I don't know if you were paying attention to social media this weekend, but I included this in my story. But the mother for Keyshawn Smith went on Twitter and basically said that Gaddis went into the offensive room and said, you guys are the worst offense that I've ever had here. Now, again, um, that's nothing that, you know, any of us can confirm. Uh, you know, it's we're going off of his mom's tweet. But, you know, look, he doesn't have to really say that to them because I think it's obvious this is probably the worst offense he's ever coached. Um, as far as leadership and and why we're not seeing it from certain players or coaches, um, I, I just think there's certain guys that aren't those guys. There's, alpha males is kind of the toughest thing to be able to really locate. Guys today are such more worried about friendship and not getting their boys angry than, than maybe putting them in their place or telling them, hey, this is what we need to do to win. So I just think that's what they're lacking. And to me, that's what leadership is. Leadership is being able to elevate your team um, and the people around you to a level that that they can't. And, and that's either through example on the field, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, doing it yourself or it's through, um, you know, speaking it and getting them to follow you. And I, I just there's not enough of those on the team in terms of the players. And you need that to win. Yeah, and I think, like you said, there, the leadership comes in many forms. One could be leading by example, not necessarily being the raw, raw vocal guy, um, but just doing what the coaches ask every day and setting the standard and setting the bar and showing what you do on and off the field to be 100% full of effort and in line with what the coaching staff wants. And the other thing is to be able to do that on and off the field as well, but also be a vocal guy that gets guys in line. That's not afraid to hurt feelings. That's not afraid to get up in people's faces to get done what you need to get done. 
I mean, that's what the 2001 team, if you saw the U Part 2 documentary, that's all they talked about. They talked about, you know, being self-accountable, that those teams ran themselves. They didn't need the coaches to tell them what to do. They did it on their own because they all policed themselves. And guys that fell out of line, they had to come in the locker room and get within that U-shaped couch and have to square off against leaders on the team. Because if you're not getting your job done, you're going to pay consequences. All right, we're going to get to Andrew Ferrelli here in a minute. Make sure you stick around for that interview if you're listening to us on the podcast. All right, if Manny was the defensive coordinator, Carlos the offensive coordinator, uh, Ferrelli was in charge of the roster, and Raul was heading up strength and conditioning, what changes would you all make for the remaining games and next season? Not calling players out, just general thoughts at a higher level. This is from Michael Abreu. Uh, what would happen if Raul was the strength and conditioning coach? I think everybody will be severely overweight, hungover, and uh, probably cramping up on, on game day because they went out to drink the night before. I don't think you want that. I don't think you want Raul as the, uh, the strength and conditioning guy. Yeah, that would be a, I mean, you'd have a lot of guys out. I mean, with all the alcohol they'd be drinking, he'd have a lot of hamstrings. Yeah, but and I'll tell you what, Vicky Bakery would probably have to be a sponsor of the team because that's what he'd feed them every day, and that, that's not good for the waistline. I can attest to that myself. All right. Um, this is from Marcus Williams, Money Kane. Who are the guys we can't afford to lose in this next class? And how many do you see us losing if the team finishes out the season winless with a three and nine record? I would say most of the offensive linemen are guys that you have to have. Um, I would say uh, Nathaniel Joseph is somebody you need to have. Um, he's a he's a leader at the wide receiver position. He's a guy who essentially will come in and replace Bashard Smith once Bashard Smith is gone uh, in the slot, uh, as well as Xavier Restrepo. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond that. I don't know enough of the, the recruiting class intimately to know what their DNA is. I will say this because Mario is recruiting them. I feel better about them than the last yeah. couple of classes. All right. It's eight 30 Carlos. I want to get to this Ferrelli interview. We've been here an hour. Um, a lot of comments. Again, I apologize to everybody whose questions we were unable to get to or whose comments we weren't able to get to, but Carlos, thanks for uh, doing the show with me. Thank you to the garrison for allowing us here. Make sure that you stick around and you listen to the Andrew Ferrelli interview. It's only 26 minutes. A lot of good insight from him. A couple of quick things I wanted to share. As I was walking out of Miami today, getting in my car and leaving, I saw quarterback Tyler Van Dyke with his right arm in a sling as he walked out of the building. Mario um, not giving us any update as far as how long Tyler might be out or if he'll be out at all. He said he, was, he called it soreness. Um, he didn't look like a guy that was going to be playing to me this week. Um yeah, it looks to me like it's at least a sprained AC joint or maybe a shoulder separation. Who knows? We will see what uh, ultimately we learn. But Jake Garcia is preparing to be the starting quarterback at Virginia this week. Um, I saw Zion Nelson as well as I was leaving. And, uh, wear, you know, big brace on his knee, crutches. Looked like a guy who probably had surgery again. Uh, so my guess is we will not see Zion the rest of the year. Mario was asked about him in the uh, press conference afterward. Said simply that... Uh, you know, they have to put him on ice and we'll see when you get him back. So that sounds to me again, like somebody who's probably done for the season. Yep. Uh, James Williams was injured, didn't finish the game last week. I know there's some fans that are upset with his tackling, uh, but Mario made it seem today. I didn't see James Williams. So I don't know what his injury is, but uh, Mario made it seem like he is okay. There's not a season ending type injury, but again, we'll have to see with our own eyes what happens to James yeah. Williams. Uh, yeah, I think it was like a lower extremity injury to James Williams. Right. So those are the big ones. Uh, Brashard Smith will be back this coming week. He had a good game at Virginia Tech, so that'll help the uh, receivers. Um, outside of that, that's what I've got for you. Carlos, any final thoughts as we uh, get to this Andrew Ferrelli interview? No, man. Let's just, uh, let's just you know, 
I, I know it's going. It's hard. It's been a rough season. I know that uh, a lot of you guys are upset. You've jumped off the ship. A lot of you guys have claimed that you're never going to watch this team again the rest of the season or until they show you that they're going to start winning on a consistent basis. Guys, we only get 12 of these a year, okay? You, you spend your whole offseason focusing on the recruiting classes, uh, debating about whether or not they're going to go back to Nike and all the stupid shit you talk about in the offseason because you want this team to come back. Enjoy the time you have. Wins or losses. I'm suffering too, but you only get 12 of these and hopefully 13 if they make a bowl game. So enjoy it while you can, man. Don't let college football ruin your mood on a weekend also. If they lose, they lose. You're a little upset at the end of the game, and you move on, buddy. Don't let this ruin your weekend. Find hobbies. Find other things to do, okay? Enjoy yourselves. Go Canes. All right. We will be back with another wide right next week, but make sure you tune in and listen to Andrew Ferrelli, uh, the South Florida Express. Talk a little recruiting with me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. It's obviously been an interesting uh, 48 hours for the Miami Hurricanes. They are now 3-4 and four after a rather embarrassing defeat 
to the Duke Blue Devils at home. Their third straight loss. They haven't had a three-game losing streak at home since 2007 when they closed out the Orange Bowl. I remember being there for that 48 nothing Virginia loss and thinking to myself, man, it may not ever get any worse than this. Boy, was I wrong. The next 15 years have been just awesome, haven't they? Uh, Andrew Ferrelli of the South Florida Express is back on with me uh, for today's episode. Uh, Andrew, thanks for coming back on. Um, you know, you you obviously have a lot of great insights um, into recruiting and, you know, being part of the uh, South Florida Express. You know a lot of the uh, the players, uh, the top recruits, some guys that are actually at Miami. Let's start with this. What's what's without naming names and putting anybody on blast? Uh, what are some of the guys at Miami maybe telling you about the change from Manny Diaz to Mario Cristobal and how it's going? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's about, you know, what everyone from the outside is is seeing as well. A lot of it with Manny was uh, he just wanted to be their best friend, especially if you're one of the better players on the team. He was just more concerned with wanting to be your friend than being your, your disciplinarian and your coach. So guys would miss meetings, miss practices, miss curfew. Uh, you know, nights before games, stuff like that, and just still be thrown right out there as the starters next day with, uh, you know, really no punishment or anything like that. Um, he was he was all about just kind of being friendly with the players, wanting to be liked, wanting to be a player's coach. Um, and it's definitely a big change coming in with Mario and the culture that he's trying to bring in with wanting to be a disciplinarian, having everything, um, you know, exactly how he wants it, a disciplined team, a tough team, you know, no missing meetings, no missing practices, anything like that. Uh, how it should be, and some of the guys just aren't uh, taking that change too well. Um, you know, it's going to take a year or so to get some of those guys uh, out of the program. I think you'll see a, a lot of players going in and out of the portal this offseason from Miami into Miami, um, just as Mario kind of tries to overhaul this roster and really uh, get rid of some of the guys that don't necessarily fit his culture and, and bring in a lot of guys that uh, more about what uh, thinking how he is. It's pretty much what I thought right after the Middle Tennessee State loss. It looked to me like a team that was being resistant to their head coach when they lost that game. Mm-hmm. And I think while they've given you know good effort for the most part, even in some of these losses, uh, this last game against Duke, it really looked like they quit on him in the fourth quarter and they just stopped playing, which is something different than than you know what we saw from Manny Diaz right over the last six games of the season. So we kind of gotten to that interesting point. Um, Andrew, where, you know, we, we know these kids, these modern day players, do you have to be a more friendly guy or do you have to be a hard ass and which one works? Because I, I look at it and I say, well, Nick Saban's kind of been a hard ass his whole career. Right. And he's won national titles doing it that way. I don't know how Ryan day is. I haven't been up to Ohio state. I've never met Ryan. I don't know what his reputation is as far as being a, a player friendly coach or a hard ass. But it's obvious this is the way Mario's going to do things. He's signed here for, you know, the next 10 years, $80 million. He's going to pay, get paid a lot of money to fix this. Um, what do you think South Florida kids are saying? What do you think recruits are saying about all this? I mean, to answer your first question, I think, you know, you got to be a little bit of a, a hard ass. I think if you just let the players get away with everything you end up with, an undisciplined team, a team that, you know, doesn't really – uh, you know, go out there and perform the way you like. I think you've got to be a little bit of a hard ass, but I think it definitely uh, takes more than seven games to adjust from one coach that was so far on the opposite side of the spectrum to what Mario was trying to create. Um, speaking to some of the recruits and stuff, they're all totally bought in. Um, I know people are saying, you know, three and four, we're going to see a bunch of kids decommit. I don't think that's going to be the case. I know, um, 
you know, starting at the top of the class, Francis Malagoa, he's bought in. His family, they want him here. They're like, Miami could go 0-12. We want him there being coached by Mario, developed by him and Maribel. Um, And I think a lot of the guys in the class are kind of following him. Uh, in terms of the South Florida guys, Ray Ray Joseph and the Washington Twins are, are kind of leading that charge. They're all very bought in. Um, Mario really has this next class set on coming in. I think he's, uh, you know, they see the writing on the wall. They see this what's on the field right now, the roster. Um, a lot of them are looking to come in and take jobs right away. Uh, I don't think they're they're scared to come in and be under Mario and, and his culture. Uh, I think they're looking forward to that and. He has them bought in and they're ready to come in and, and compete for starting jobs next year. Um, Miami's recruiting class is 11th uh, in the country after the uh, re-ranking of the players by 247 recently. Um, he's got a great class he's put together so far. We we know he's going to go heavy into the transfer portal here. I, I'm expecting probably a flip of 30 to 35, maybe even up to 40 players that are on this roster right now. To next year, am I being conservative? Is or, or or am I being too aggressive in in those estimates? No, I think that's a pretty fair estimate. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see you know that forty ish number, close to half the roster being flipped. Um, like you said, they've got a good you know a great class right now. They're eleventh in the country with I think they have the least commits of anyone in the top fifteen. Um, they still haven't accounted for uh, Antoine Jackson, who's reclassifying for Dillard, who's a top hundred player in that twenty twenty four class. Is going to be a twenty twenty three. So that'll probably bump them back up into the top 10 there. Um, but no, I think you'll see a, a huge flip of the roster with uh, going heavy in the portal, especially. Um, I mean, if you look, arguably the two best players on each side of the ball right now have all been guys that Mario brought in through the portal. On on the defense, you have Mesador, who might be the best player on the team, and Jackson, the defense tackle. Both of them have been studs, came out of the portal. And then on offense, your best running back, Henry Parrish, and it looks like Colby Young is, is passing up everyone as the best receiver. So two best players on each side of the ball are guys that Mario brought in from the portal in a couple of months. He was here before the season. Um, I think this just kind of goes to show, you know, what the roster was looking like when he came in. Uh, and I think you'll see them kind of really go in and try to flip a, a much bigger portion of that roster this off season. So I think that that 40 ish number um, isn't, uh, you know, overshooting or anything. I think uh, you could see a, a very large flip in the roster this year. Well, I mean, look, you've already got a lot of fifth and sixth year guys, right, in terms of uh, seniors and transfers and guys that, that may uh, just end up entering the portal because they haven't played a whole lot or, or, or whatever, and there's younger guys in front of them. Um, you, you know a lot of these kids. Are there any, you know, rumors of guys that you think will definitely be gone, that will not be, uh, you know, staying younger guys? Have you heard any of that with the 2022 class or, or the 2021 class? Any guys that, you know, in terms of names that you've heard of, of that might be departing? Um, Not necessarily, not any, uh, you know, big names from those two classes that I've heard. Um, Obviously, we've seen Eshawn Smith and, and his mother with, with some frustration on Twitter. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's someone that enters the portal, especially, you know, he's seen some reduced playing time over the last couple of weeks, especially with the emergence of, of Colby Young, Colby George coming back. Uh, it seems like he kind of got passed up and, uh, you know, especially with the fumbles on special teams and stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if his playing time continues to decrease and uh, if he's someone that hits the portal. Um, other than that, I haven't heard too many names specifically, but I'm sure as we get closer to that, uh, that December 4th date, when they can get in the portal, you'll start to see a, a lot more names either choosing to leave or kind of being, uh, you know, kindly shown the door. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, this is, and this is what happens at a lot of places. Mike Norvell basically flipped his roster at Florida state. 
Um, he's just not as good a recruiter as Mario, right? He's had to really depend on the transfer portal for most of his guys. Hasn't been able to hit, uh, you know, ultimately here. Do you think Miami has to hit a certain number of wins? Do you think they have to be bowl eligible maybe to hold on to this class? Right now, ESPN's only given them, I think, a 37 or 38 percent shot at even winning six games and being bowl eligible at this at this point, uh, you know, come December. What what do you, what are your thoughts on the class sticking together? And is it going to take a certain number of wins? I mean, obviously it'd be nice to, to get to a bowl in his first year. Um, that's the one thing Miami's kind of avoided that Florida and Florida State haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that year without making a bowl. Um, so it'd be nice to get bowl eligible. Um, honestly, I think even if they go five and seven, I don't see that many guys dropping off. Um, like I said, I know Francis is bought in. He's kind of the leader of the class. Rashad is bought in. Um, a lot of the South Florida guys are bought in. I think Malik Bryant might be someone. Um, if you're going to look at one of the, the higher end guys that might look elsewhere, um, I think he could be someone that, that may not be as committed um, towards the top end of that class. Um, other than that, except maybe losing, um, you know, maybe one at the bottom of the three tight ends that they have, or uh, one of the two quarterbacks, which uh, we've been talking about for months now. Um, I think all the all the main guys in that class are pretty bought in, um, regardless of record. I think, like I said, they're they are Mario has them bought in. They're ready to come in. They want to start right away, uh, and I think a lot of them will. Um, just seeing what's on the team right now, I know. I, I believe Francis will walk on here, be a, a three-year starter and head to the NFL. Uh, I think that's the mindset that a lot of these guys come in and have. Um, that's good for Mario. That's good for the Hurricanes, obviously, that they that they feel that way. Why is it do you think Mario is able to connect with recruits and yet these players, the ones that are here, are not – I mean, is it just because they were recruited to a different mentality? You know, what, what what's kind of you think missing there, Andrew? Um, yeah, I mean, I think – a lot of the guys on the roster have already been with Manny for the last two, three years, four years, some of them five years, you know, with the COVID year, there's guys that are fifth, right. sixth, seventh year seniors. Right. Um, so I think a lot of the guys just got so used to that culture um, and just having a coach that wants to be your friend and not, you know, having to work as hard, not having to, you know, if you miss a meeting or you leave a practice or whatever the case may be, uh, it's not a big deal. Whereas when Mario comes in, it's the complete opposite. Um, I think it's a, definitely a big adjustment and uh, some of the guys on the roster that have been used to just being, you know, we call it babied for the last three, four or five years um, aren't, aren't taken to that well. Um, and I think you see that, especially with a lot of the South Florida kids um, that stay down here. Some of them get a little bit complacent, um, especially with the, you know, if you have a coaching staff that wants to be friendly with them, not really pushing them, um, you see them just kind of, you know, they're hanging out. Hey, I'm still the star here in my hometown. I'm going to, go back to my high school every Thursday night, Friday night for the game where everyone's going to tell me how great I was. Um, and I think uh, when you have a coach like Mario come in and, you know, he's, he's not going to put up with that. You're going to work your butt off regardless of if you were a four-star, five-star from South Florida or a three-star from California. Um, and I think uh, it just takes going to take a year to, to really push everything out um, that's been uh, kind of built up over the last three, four, five years. There are some guys, obviously, Miami is still on. We haven't had you on in a while because it's been a very sort of quiet period, right, in recruiting. Most of these guys are playing their season. Uh, yes, some guys have taken trips and and been on campuses elsewhere. 
uh, and, and come and watch the Hurricanes games. But for the most part, nobody's making any real decisions here because it feels like everybody's sort of waiting, well, what's going to happen with staff, right? Who's going to leave? Uh, what coaches are going to go on for their jobs, et cetera. So, uh, but there will be an announcement, I think, at the end of this week, right? Uh, Cormani McLean, who, of course, played with you guys. Uh, he's at Lakeland, one of the top cornerbacks, if not the top cornerback in the country, according to 247, number two player overall. Um, I know the, the, the word on the street, it's probably going to be the Florida Gators. Uh, Miami was in it for a while. Um, personally, I, I think Cormani probably just wants to stay closer to home, right, with his mom. And is that kind of the, the read you're getting as well? Uh, yeah, I'd be very surprised if uh, if it wasn't UF as the choice here on the 27th. Um, everything I've heard over the last week is, has been that that's where he's going. Um, and yeah, they've, they've done a good job recruiting him. Obviously, that Lakeland, Polk County area always has been very, very UF heavy. Um, Cormani's very close with his mom. Staying home was a big thing for him. Um, and also the Pouncey twins have been very involved there. It's kind of, uh, you know, just helping him out with his recruitment. They're close with, with the mom as well, helping her out with their recruitment. Um so I think just as all that kind of transpired, UF really pulled away towards the end. I'd be very surprised if they weren't the pick here on Thursday. You mentioned Samson Oakland Lola earlier, uh, the five-star offensive tackle who Miami has been after, uh, obviously from Braintree, Massachusetts. Um, you know, a guy that they kind of want to pair, obviously, with Francis and, and make them your bookend uh, offensive tackles. What's the latest with him? And, um, you know, how good of a shot do you give the Hurricanes here? Uh, I, they still feel very good about him. I was talking to some people around UM um, late last week, and and they still feel very good about Samson. They feel like they've got a you know pretty good lead there. Um, they're expecting Ohio State to probably make a push as we get closer to signing day, closer to decision day. Um, but everything that I've heard from UM and from people around him all seems like uh, Miami's Miami's pretty firmly in the lead there with Samson still. Um, so obviously you get him on board with Francis and that solves a lot of, uh, a lot of problems on the ends of your offensive line for the next three years, four years. A couple of pass rushers they were in on that are elite kids, five-star kids, Damon Wilson out of Venice, Samuel and Pemba out of IMG Academy. Um, I think I'd heard Samuel was, was probably going to Florida at one point. Um, what's sort of the latest with both of those guys? Uh, Damon Wilson, I don't think Miami's, uh, too active in that one anymore. It seems like that one, uh, he's probably going to go to Ohio state. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like they've uh, they've done a good job there. He's gotten up there a couple of times. Uh, seems like they've pulled the way there. Um, and that's from Peba. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't think that one's going Miami way as well. Um, I haven't heard Florida as much recently. It seems like Georgia's really uh, kind of become the team to beat for him. I think uh, that's where I'd expect him to end up. All right. And Ruben Bain, everything was pointing uh, towards Auburn here of late uh, out of Miami Central. I know he knows the, the defensive line coach there, has a good relationship with him through family. Uh, but uh, Auburn may have a, an entire coaching staff change as well. So what's the latest with Ruben? I've heard the Auburn rumors. I know he went out there with a bunch of coaches and stuff like that from this is from DEFCON and Central and everything like that, a bunch of players. Um, I still think Miami's the team to beat there. Um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up with Miami. His brother's on the staff. His old high school coaches are on the staff. Um, he's got all the family ties to UM. He spent seemed like every other day during this offseason on campus at UM. Um, he talks to the coaches a ton. I I know Auburn's made a good push there. Obviously, um, I don't think Brian Harson survives the season, which is another reason that I think Miami went, uh, wins out there. Um, but I'd still put Miami in the lead for, for Ruben Bain. He's had a, two- a dominant season so far. Um, yeah, he's been he's, he's been for Central, and he's been incredible. 
Yeah, two other local guys I wanted to ask you about on the defensive side. Stanquan Clark, who's committed to Louisville, uh, the linebacker out of Miami Central. And then Damari Brown, who's obviously a legacy. His father, Selwyn, played for the Hurricanes. Um, you know, I know he went to Florida State recently. And, and where where does Miami stand with those two defensive guys that are very good players? Damari Brown, um, it's gonna, I think it's going to come down to how his official visit goes. Um, he was a guy that I think if they had had a better start to the season, they could have had locked up already. Uh, he was planning to officially visit earlier in the year, possibly commit earlier in the year. And then uh, things start not looking as well. He went and visited FSU. Uh, he was actually at Alabama this past weekend. And then, uh, but he'll be officially visiting Miami for that Miami FSU game in a couple weeks. Um, so I think if, if Miami is a good showing there, um, everything goes right with the official visit. Um, you know, he could end up there, but it seems like... Uh, Going into that official visit, all things are, are pretty even among uh, Miami, FSU, and Alabama right now. Uh, and then as for Stanquan Clark, I know Miami's done a good job there. Uh, I think if they were to flip anyone from another team, he might be the uh, the guy with the highest possibility to do so. Um, they talk to him a lot. They feel really good about uh, about flipping him from Louisville, and who's you know another program where not having a great season. Um, Satterfield. It, it, just a matter of time till he's fired as well. Um, so I think he's another kid that uh, that'll probably end up at Miami um, from from Miami Central. I think him and Ruben May will, will end up there together. And then two other kids locally I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Christopher Johnson, who I think at one point was going to commit to Miami out of Dillard, the running back, uh, who, I, who I watched in person, super explosive. I think he's more of a pass catcher, a guy that you, you involved in the passing game. And then Edwin Joseph, who played with you guys at SFE for a little while, uh, three-star kid out of Chaminade that has really had a phenomenal season uh, for Chaminade. What about what about those two guys? Oh, yeah. Like I said, Chris Johnson, uh, he's another one. It seems like he was all set to give it to Miami. Um, I know he had some of the uh, recruiting sites making his commitment ad and everything like that um, mm-hmm. back then. And then uh, some other schools jumped on board, started recruiting him harder, and he kind of pushed everything back. Um, he's another one that I think will be uh, taking an official visit for the FSU game. Um, he said he just wants to see improvement over these next few games. Um, I think he's a kid where how Miami finishes out this season will impact that recruitment a lot. Um, I think if they finish out six, seven wins, hopefully beat FSU, uh, he's a kid that'll jump on board. If not, if they end up in that five and seven range, I think uh, he might look elsewhere. Um, and then as for Edwin, uh, Miami's biggest thing is they got to get him to, to take an official visit. He's been down here a lot, but had a ton of home games already. Um, he was at Louisville this past weekend. I think them, South Carolina, and Penn State are all pushing hard. Um, he was at Penn State a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think they're definitely towards the top right now. Um, he's another one that uh, I think his official visit's got to go really well, or I think he'll look uh, possibly Penn State or, or Louisville. Who are some other guys that, if you're a Miami fan, you should be keeping an eye on here from now until December? Oh, um, I don't know if I hit you with one that was uh, too too loaded there, but I mean, I kind of I kind of went over the main names that I've kind of marked down as okay. I got to watch what's going on with these guys. Yeah, I think that's you know the the ones who went over are definitely the biggest names that are left for them. Um, you have Dej Ricks reclassifying. He's going to be a 2023. He was the best cornerback in that 2024 class. Mm-hmm. Haven't heard the best rumblings about him in Miami lately. Um, seems like it's shaping up to be a LSU, Florida, and possibly FSU battle. 
Um, but Miami was obviously in there a lot early. He took a lot of visits to Miami, played with that Miami Immortal 7-on-17 that had uh, you know, Jaden Rashad and a couple other Miami commits on it. Um, so they'll definitely try to make a push there. Um, outside of that, I think uh, it's just trying to, to close on some of those guys you mentioned, um, especially Samson Akinola. Um, I think you got to get another corner to hopefully Damari Brown or Edwin Joseph. Um, and then I think... I don't think they want to take more than maybe 2022 20, kids in this class um, and just really hammer the portal going into next year. Yeah. I mean, you can go, I think up to seven over, right. Um, with transfers and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe you can add a couple more depending on how many you lose, but I expect there to be lots of scholarships open. Right. And, uh, yeah. and, and Mario to, to use them as best he sees fit. I think the areas where we could definitely see instant impact type transfers. I think the offensive line is one area you'd have to consider. I think running back you'd have to consider as well. I know Trevante citizen is coming off of an ACL injury. Uh, obviously Don Chaney jr. Is coming back off an ACL. We don't know if he's going to be around Jalen Knighton's had fumbleitis uh, for the last few weeks. Um, and it, it just seems like, you know, there's there's a lot of transition in that position. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some some changes there. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you're going to have to replace some defensive linemen uh, that you brought in in this last cycle. So uh, I don't know. Those are just a couple of areas I think we'll see some movement. What, what's your opinion? No, I agree, um, especially at running back. Um, you know, if Citizen comes back and he's anywhere near what he was before the injury, he, he's going to be a star. Um, if, if he hadn't gotten injured, he would have. I would not be surprised if him perish for the top two backs right now on this team. Um, if, if he hadn't gotten injured before the year, he was just incredible when, when he came in and camp. Um, but yeah, I think uh, on the defense side of the ball, probably see some defense alignment. Um, you've got some young guys that they like. Nigel Lee Kelly's flashes a freshman. Wesley Basanta linebackers flashes a freshman, but there's still uh, a lot of holes that you've got to fill um, at corner. I'm sure they're going to have to pull some guys. Um, especially if they miss out on, on a Damari Brown and, and Edwin Joseph. Um, I think you're definitely going to have to uh, hit the portal for some some experienced corners with Tyreek Stevenson and DJ Ivy leaving. Um, doesn't leave you a whole lot behind them. And then uh, uh, that interior, if you get Francis and Sampson, uh, I think you're, you're pretty set at the tackles. Um, but definitely, uh, I think, get some guards. Um, but uh, there's there's a lot of holes on this team, to, to put it nicely. <laughs> yeah. So, there's, there's a lot of spots where they're going to have to hit the portal. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about the SFE kids for 2024? You guys obviously have a super talented team. Um, you know, there's several t- top 24 uh, kids that uh, play for you guys. And and uh, curious what, what the banter is about the Hurricanes now. Um, it hasn't been great <laughs> late. Um, obviously, they're 2024. They've still got a while left. Um, but... Uh, a lot of them have been disappointed in the season. Um, a lot of those kids all played together down here growing up, all with the Miami Gardens Ravens, grew up as UM fans. Um, it, it seemed like that class was really looking for a reason to kind of stay home and stay together. Those kids like Chance Robinson, JoJo Trader, Jeremiah Smith, um, Antoine Jackson, who's reclassifying to 2023. Um, so hopefully him coming in here early will help with those kids. Um, but it, it seems like that group of just – top athletes in 2024 they're all very close down here we're looking for a reason to come to miami um and so far um just hasn't given them that you know hasn't shown them a reason to to come here um you know hopefully things change if, if they finish out the season strong or, or have you know a great 2024 season next year i'm sorry 2023 
season next year. Um, you know, things can change, but right now, um, for a group of kids that, that love to Miami and everything like that, they've uh, been pretty disappointed with the, the performance this far. Yeah, I got to imagine. Um, what does your gut tell you here, man? The rest of the way, what do you think happens from here to December? Do you, who do you think Miami adds? Who do you think they hang on to? I think they hold on to most of the class. Like I said, if, if any of the top guys were to leave, um, it'd probably be Malik Bryant. Um, other than that, I think that that top portion of the class is pretty locked in. Um, as for who they add, um, they're at 17 right now. You'll get Anquan Jackson adder, so he'll be uh, commit number 18. Still feel good about Ruben Bain. Still feel good about Samson. Um, that puts you right about 20. I think they flip Stanquan Clark. That puts us at 21. And then hopefully get Damari or maybe someone else at, uh, at DB. That puts you at that 22-23 number. Um, and just kind of wrap it up there and then hit the portal. All right. Best case scenario. That's that's probably what we're hoping for. Uh, they need as much help as they can get. And I think ultimately playing time, a lot of these kids, if they're smart, they're looking at it saying, I can get on the field quickly. Oh, definitely. Um, there, there's a lot of positions where, where these guys can come in and play right away. And I think that's one of the things that, that Mario sold them on from the start. Um, you know, especially if you're an offensive lineman, a defense lineman, a receiver, um, a cornerback. There's there's a lot of positions where you can, you know, step on the field next year and, and have a good chance to either start or play an awful lot of some true freshmen. Yeah. Andrew, I appreciate you checking in, brother. Um Hopefully the season doesn't get any worse because I I can't I can't deal with the Twitter mafia and, and, and the anger. It's driving me kind of crazy. Yeah, at least at least the Dolphins are playing well, you know. Yesterday was uh, <laughs> Sunday helped make Saturday a little bit better. Yeah. All right. Well here's here's to a better finish and a little bit more peace in South Florida. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it. <laughs>